Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome to episode 32 of Internal Budget. 32 weeks of this podcast, and I'm only a little crazier than when I started off. As always, it's Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver Seven Sens, invading your ears from my luxurious apartment in downtown Toronto with my sidekick, Tofu the Corgi, laying directly next to me. Man, what a weird game that was last night. Like, sorry to jump right into things, but what the hell is going on with Colorado? I know they've got injuries. Uh, They've got Eric Johnson and Matt Calvert both banged up. Obviously, the big one being Philip Grubauer is out, and Pavel Fransuz has been thrust into the starting role. But I gotta say, even with all that taken into consideration, the Colorado Avalanche should be winning this series on paper. They should not be down two nothing to the Dallas Stars. The talent in that room up front and on the blue line, the leadership core in that group. It's nonsensical to me that Colorado is struggling so much with Dallas. But I think all in all, this is where you have to give some credit to the Dallas Stars. And this is where I've probably been unfair to the Dallas Stars. Last week, I called Dallas a pretender on this very podcast. I've said from the beginning that I don't believe in the Dallas Stars. Man, and I'm starting to believe. I really am. They've put a really good stretch of games together. They've performed really well against one of the league's top teams. They haven't been intimidated. They've struggled at times, but they've found ways to win through two games. And now they have a 2-0 lead on a beat-up and probably frustrated Colorado team, which is huge. I can't overstate how big that is. And if you're Colorado, Nathan Nathan McKinnon, good Lord, has put the team on his back. Where's everybody else? Kill McCarr's got to start making some plays. Gabe Landis-Cog has got to start making some plays. Miko Rantanen scored a goal last night, but it was set up gorgeously by McKinnon. If the Avs aren't going to have the solid goaltending that they've been accustomed to, then they need to score, and they need to score lots, and the Avs know this. They know that they're going to need to get better offensive performances from everybody all throughout their lineup. And if you're Dallas, you're taking advantage of that, that desperation. All Dallas needs is to score maybe three goals. And then their defensive structure takes over. And they don't even have Ben Bishop in net. That's nuts. I can't get over the Dallas Stars. Back last summer, when the Ottawa Senators were looking for a new coach... And Rick Bonus was mentioned as 
being one of the possible candidates. I said I don't think he's a head coach in today's NHL. Not for a winning team. That's another thing I was wrong about. Apparently, I'm wrong about a lot. (laughs) The way Bonus has had control of this team, it's really been masterful to watch him work from the Calgary series on through. Even when he doesn't... uh, even when he doesn't have the last change, he's gotten the matchups he's wanted. He's gotten really just solid performances from everybody. Nobody from Dallas has really stood out. I know Gurionov had the four-goal game, and but Dallas just plays as a unit. They remind me a lot of the 2017 Ottawa Senators, where everybody just kind of counted them out, but... They just kept rolling on. They rolled on within their structure. They outworked everybody, and they won games. Is Dallas going to beat Colorado and move on to the Western Conference Final? I don't know. If they do, are they going to beat likely the Vegas Golden Knights? I don't know. I don't think so, but I didn't think they would be be here either. I didn't think they would be up two games on one of, if not the best teams in the West. I did not expect Nathan McKinnon's superstar performance to not be enough to win Colorado this series. I didn't. Especially the way he was playing early in game one and the way he was playing early in game two. It looked like Nathan McKinnon was going to win this series himself. But he hasn't been able to do that so far. And that's a credit to Dallas' system. It's a credit to Rick Bonus's coaching. It's a credit to Anton Hudobin and Net. And really, just that entire lineup playing their role, playing conservative, but also capitalizing on the opposition's mistakes. Radulov and Sagan have been magnificent up front, putting up lots of points. Who knows? Maybe Dallas is going to make a significant kick at this can. I'm surprised. That's really the best way I can put it is I'm surprised that we're at this point. I think a lot of people are. I think probably the only people who aren't surprised are in that Dallas Stars locker room. But now that we're here, this should serve as a wake-up call to all of us who didn't believe in this team. They've faced adversity, they've faced roadblocks, and they've found ways to win. Do I think Calgary having Matthew Kachuk would have made that a different series? Yeah, I do. I don't know if Calgary wins it, but I think it's more competitive. Do I think Colorado not having these million injuries, especially to their starting goaltender, do I think that would make this series more competitive? Yeah, I do. And again... Even those four goals for Dallas in game two last night, they all happened within a span of like 10 minutes where the avalanche just fall apart, fell apart. So who knows? Maybe Colorado's going to wake up for game three. They'll win four straight and win this series in six. But from the looks of it, Dallas is going to give them a fight to the bitter end. And this is a team, again who took last year's Stanley Cup champions to Game 7 in overtime. 
So maybe it's time we all kind of start believing in the Dallas Stars a little bit. Maybe it's time to start giving this team some credit where it's due. I was wrong about this team. I've got no problem admitting that. And I'm not going to be surprised after what I've seen. I'm not going to be surprised if Dallas starts to make some noise the rest of the way. Yeah, not a lot of sense stuff to cover this week, which is going to happen lots throughout what's going to be a, a very long offseason, I think. But knowing the reasons Ottawa's usually in the news for, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we'll just have to stick to talking about the former Senators that are in these Stanley Cup playoffs. J.G. Pajot scored a huge goal last night, as he so often does in the postseason. And in the second round in particular, if you remember. And his New York Islanders made a pretty emphatic statement against the Philadelphia Flyers, shutting them down and beating them pretty handily 4 to nothing. And I gotta say, again, I'm surprised. I don't know why, but I'm surprised. I had Washington to win the East. I am an idiot. So don't listen to me. <laughs> listen to the podcast, but don't listen to me. But no, the Islanders played the Capitals perfectly. They played the exact kind of game that they needed to win. Barry Trotz beat his old team with the very structure that he taught his old team. It was really masterful to watch. And it was masterful in the way that the Islanders executed it. Uh, Even when the Capitals started to get momentum going, they never really got a sniff because adjustments were made and they were shut down just as quick as they started. And we saw that exact same principle work really effectively against the Philadelphia Flyers in Game 1 last night. The Flyers, the team who finished first in the round robin for a long period of time, looked like the best team in the playoffs. And now they're done down one nothing to these Islanders, who have lost one game this entire postseason. And I gotta say, like, I've been really impressed with the New York Islanders. I was saying Dallas could be the 2017 Senators. The Islanders could absolutely be that team too. In a lot of ways, Philly is almost an easier matchup for the Islanders than the Capitals. Washington has firepower. Even without Nick Backstrom, they still had Alex Ovechkin. They still had Kuznetsov, Verana. There's a lot of weapons on that Washington team. The Flyers have weapons too, but I don't think they're as potent of an offensive unit as the Capitals are. Claude Giroux's fantastic. Sean Couturier, Voracek. Like, you know, I don't need to rattle off all the names. But this matchup really interests me because Philly is another team that relies on structure more than they do goal scoring. They score goals, but they also roll four lines. And Philly's game is all about time of possession 
and limiting chances to the perimeter. The Islanders do that to the nth degree, I would say. The Islanders' whole bread and butter is clogging up the neutral zone and not allowing any high percentage chances. It's very Guy Boucher-like in a lot of ways, except it's won before. So all that the New York Islanders really have to do is exactly what they did against Washington. They're getting solid, timely goaltending from Varlamov. Their blue line is playing really well. They're not getting hemmed in their own zone. They're generating time on attack. And they're making good on their chances. The Islanders know they're not going to have as many scoring chances as other teams. So when they get them, they need to capitalize. And they scored four times last night. Three of them were against Carter Hart. I would say that's capitalizing. I would say that's pretty good when it comes to coming through on your chances. Are they going to be able to do the same thing against a Boston or against a Tampa Bay? I don't know. My head tells me no, but watching this team, it doesn't look like there's anybody that they can't shut down effectively. I, like Their structure has been executed so well that it's really hard to spot a chink in that armor. Everybody last series was talking about how poorly the Washington Capitals played, myself included. But is it maybe time to start talking about how well the New York Islanders played? Maybe they just gave the Caps all they can handle. Maybe the Caps just had no answer for what the Islanders were throwing at them. And maybe that was Barry Trotz knowing his old team, in all fairness. Maybe he knew some little things that you know, were difficult for us to see from a TV perspective. But maybe it was coaching. But now Trotz is going against Elling Vigneault, who's another incredible coach, who's got a really good roster in front of him that is built to go deep into the playoffs. And he's doing the same things. Now, throughout these playoffs, whenever the, uh, the Flyers have had a bad game, they've bounced back. We saw that against the Canadians. We even saw it in the round robin where they didn't play as well, even though they went undefeated in the round robin. And then they came back the next game and made a statement. I would expect to see something similar to that. I don't know if they're going to win, but I would expect the Flyers in game two to come out just guns a-blazing. I think they're going to do everything they can to exhaust the New York Islanders because that's how you beat stingy defensive teams. You exhaust them. You beat them up in the corners. You make them go get pucks, and you make them try to have to have to try to skate them up ice, and you finish every check. I think that's what the Flyers are going to do. I think Elaine Vino knows how to beat this Islanders team. Again, will they do it? I don't know. These are two of the dark horse teams that could win the Stanley Cup, for me. I don't know if anybody's a dark horse at this point in the playoffs. But I think Boston and Tampa tend to get more respect than the Islanders and the Flyers do. Again, I'm not sure who's going to win this series. 
because it's pretty evenly matched. Based on what I've seen, I th- I like the Islanders. I think the Islanders had an easier time with the Washington Capitals than the Philadelphia Flyers had with the Montreal Canadiens. And that's saying something. Maybe I'm not correct on that. Maybe you disagree. That's fine. But I saw a team shut down an offensive unit that contained the greatest pure goal scorer this game has ever seen and beat them in five games. And I also saw a team that needed a series of close games to beat the 12th place seed in this playoff. It's it's hard for me to lean any way other than the Islanders. I know that's recency bias. I totally get that. I'm not going to be surprised if the Flyers come out and win this series. But as of right now, the Islanders look like they could beat a Boston. Like they could beat a Tampa Bay. That's, that's, that's just how good they've looked. It, it seems to me like Barry Trotz has an answer for everybody. So there's no reason to me why the New York Islanders can't go all the way, the way they're playing right now, the way they're getting secondary scoring, the way they're not giving up quality chances, the way they're not getting into penalty trouble, the way Varlamov is making key saves. I think the Flyers are going to need more than 29 shots to beat the Islanders, but so far, for the guys from Long Island, it's a pretty damn good start. I would say, anyway. I do want to touch on Boston and Tampa Bay because that's a matchup that I find really interesting for a lot of reasons. Obviously, it's teams that have become rivals. Obviously, they're probably the best teams in the East. But now you have this added factor of the Bruins not having Tuka Rask and still trying to shake this stigma that they've earned after really kind of faltering through the round robin. I was really interested to see how the Boston Bruins were going to respond in in game one of this series. They got a huge five-game win against the Hurricanes. I would feel a lot less good about their chances if Carolina had pushed them to seven, which I thought they were going to. So I was really curious to see how the Bruins looked to open their series against Tampa. And by Bruce Cassidy's own admission, they played very well in the first and third. Didn't have much of a second period. But they won. They roared out to a 3-0 lead, and they won the game 3-2. If you look at the point totals across the board, Marshawn and Pasternak each had a goal and an assist. Marshawn had the winning goal. And Patrice Bergeron had two helpers. Charlie Coyle added another goal. The Boston Bruins aren't going to lose any games where their top line combines for six points and where Charlie Coyle scores. Because Charlie Coyle is the best player on that team, the best forward on that team that's not on the top line. 
He was excellent for them last year. He's excellent for them this year. So when the, when that team is firing on all cylinders like that, especially against an Andre Vasilevsky, they're going to win. They're going to win provided, I should say, that they get solid goaltending from Halak because that's been a question mark. But they did. Halak stood tall. He gave up two goals, neither of which he really had a chance on. He was screened, and they were bouncing off bodies left and right. So it was a very Boston Bruins game because I think those are going to be the games they have to win without Tuka Rask. I don't know if Yaroslav Halak is going to be getting any shutouts against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think if you ask anyone, they would take Tuka Rask over Yaro Halak. Which means that the Bruins have had to change their style a little bit. They maybe can't open it up offensively as much as they want to, as much as they could with Tuka Rask. Because that safety valve just isn't there. Your Vesna candidate goaltender isn't there to bail you out. Your backup goaltender is. And that's fine. You have one of the better backups in the league. But that was an adjustment that I think needed to be made. And so far, the Bruins have made it. So far, they've they've earned a lot of chances without taking unnecessary risks. They haven't made turnovers. They've played within their means. And they've just let their talent win out. And the Bruins' talent is going to win out against almost anybody. The Lightning are a crazy talented team. But they still don't have Steven Stamkos. And that's probably the X factor for Boston right now. I don't know when Stamkos is coming back. No one does. We have no independent media access inside that damn bubble, so nobody knows what the hell's going on. But if I'm Boston, I want to win as many games as I can before he comes back because he could change the entire dynamic of this series. He's that kind of player, and he's that kind of leader. So if you're the Bruins, you have to want to win every single game where Steven Stamkos is not in the lineup. That's your ace in the hole. And like I was going back, like I was saying before, just keep playing. It's like a fight, right? You don't want to throw a big hook when it's not there and then you get clocked and you're on the mat. You counterpunch. You wait for openings and you strike quickly and efficiently and that's what the Bruins have done. They haven't tried to force anything, which is what I think what they were trying to do a lot through the round robin and early in the Carolina series. They've just let the game come to them, and now they have the series lead to prove it. So if they want to beat the Lightning, that's what they got to do. They have to keep that up. And quickly before we get to questions here, I said last week Vegas was the team to beat in these playoffs. I know a lot of you probably didn't agree with me. But you got to be impressed by that game one victory against the Canucks. And, and I'm not ragging on the Vancouver Canucks. Because they're they're a fantastic team. And they're so fun to watch. But here's my observation. You have a young, hungry team that relies heavily on skill. And that's a good thing. That's the foundation of a winning club. 
But Vegas is years ahead of them on the development curve. Vegas is a veteran squad filled with guys that have been deep in the playoffs. They can roll four lines at you. They have ungodly superstar goaltending. And they're here to win. They're built to win. Vancouver is built to compete, and Vegas is built to win. Oh, by the way, we were talking about goaltending. Is Alan Walsh out of his mind? What was that? What was that? Like, Alan Walsh tried to turn the Stanley Cup playoffs into Game of Thrones. He skewered Marc-Andre Fleury in this artist's rendition with a sword that said Peter DeBoer, or DeBoer. Like, on on the eve of the first game of the second round, like, I get standing up for your client, that's your job. That's what you get paid to do. I salute you for it. But if I'm Mark andre Fleury, I'm livid about that. I'm pissed beyond belief. That's ridiculous. Like, there's a time and a place, man. And if you really want to get into it, it's also wrong. Because Marc-Andre Fleury has not been as good as Robin Leonard. This season, this playoffs, Robin Leonard has been the better goaltender. I know that's an uncomfortable notion. Fleury's the goaltender that started the franchise off. He's the goaltender that got them to the dance two years ago. But these are just the facts. Leonard's been the better goalie. He deserves a chance to start. And I think Vancouver will probably make this series more competitive than a 5-0 loss. But, you know, they're in tough. Vegas is the better team. Vegas is built for this. So I I think it's going to be a fun series. I don't think it's going to be a series full of 5-0 losses. But... You know, we're seeing the true colors of both of these teams. We're seeing a Vegas team that is ready for this, ready to win a cup, and a Vancouver team that is almost there, but not quite. Let's get to some questions here. This one's from Macker on the Rock. Oh, boy. Bruins have had success developing their young players by breeding in, bringing in veteran leadership. David Backus, Charlie Coyle. What free agent veterans should the Sens look at bringing in to help their young leaders develop their leadership skills? Uh, I think the Senators have to be really cautious about that just because they're still planning for cap room in the future. Uh, and in terms of veterans... You have some pretty good guys in that room already. So you want to kind of build through that young core rather than relying too much on the free agency side of things. I would like to see them bring back Mark Borowiecki. I think he's been a vital leader for that team. I wouldn't mind Ottawa bringing in a Tory Krug depending on the cap hit. I think 
if you have the cap room, you might as well take advantage of it as long as you're not mortgaging the future. Uh, and they could always use more help on the blue line. Granted, they do need right-handers more than left-handers. But uh, Krug is probably a guy that I would have a significant look at if I'm Ottawa. Man, another week. A lot of questions. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I shouldn't say guys because I know it's not guys that just listen to the podcast. So thank you. I appreciate it. Spencer, which Disney character would you like into Kachuk? Um, these are, there's a few here, so I'll just go rapid fire. Mm. I'll say Simba, because he's the future king. If Drake Batherson were a flavor of ice cream, what would he be? Oh, God. I hate you. Um, ugh. I don't know. I'll say, like, chocolate chip cookie dough, because it's delicious and I really enjoy it. On a more serious note, and apologize if you covered this in previous episodes and I forgot, how many spots do you think are actually available to prospects? I think, and this may be an unpopular opinion, that there are as many positions as needed. I think if prospects kick the door down, they will get in these games no matter what in Ottawa. Uh, guys, I would look to start the season in Ottawa. I think Drake Batherson is a lock. Josh Norris is probably as close to a lock as you can be. Um, I think Balsers and Willandon are locks. Formanton is close. Logan Brown is close. Eric Branstrom is close. Uh, Philip Schlopek is either a lock or he's close, depending on how the organization feels about him. I think I could see a situation in which all of those guys are playing games for the Ottawa Senators by the end of next season. Taylor, if up to you, which sense personality would you induct into the ring of honor first? Stuntman Stu, Craig Medaglia, or a Sparta Cat? Well, they're all deserving of the ring of honor, I think. Um, especially if, if that honor is supposed to be reserved for people who have had major contributions to the franchise on and off the ice. You got to go with Stuntman Stu first. Um, the work he's done to promote the team, the work he's done in the community... Uh, and he's just a stand-up guy. I've, I've talked to Stu more than once, and he's a phenomenal dude. So, to me, I think he's the easy choice. This one's Taylor W. In your mind, what's the ideal Chris Tierney contract extension look like? Um, I think if Ottawa's going to extend him, it's nothing long-term. Um, nothing against Tierney. He's a good player. But when you have as many center, center prospects as Ottawa does and you may have more coming in through the draft, I don't think you can commit to anything that's going to obstruct those guys from cracking the lineup when it's their time. So probably two to three years, uh, maybe five, six million. Uh, I don't know what the going rate for a Chris Tierney would be, so. I'm not answering this, James. You know I'm not answering this. <laughs> if you know, you know, and I'm sorry that you know. Sean, who are you most worried about Seattle taking in the expansion draft? Um, I would have to review the rules of who Ottawa can and can't protect, but I'd be worried about the young kids getting taken, as I think everyone is. Um, you, you know, losing a young key prospect that you run out of room to protect. Maybe it's not a Formanton, maybe it's a Nick Paul or a Rudy Balsers, but that's a guy that could be critical for you down the line in the bottom six. So that would be my answer there. 
Uh, MTL Sens. Sens have a large quantity of prospects and a higher number of picks in this draft. Is it time to consider reducing quantity to increase quality? Uh, yeah, definitely. And to answer the other part of your question, it's should be through trading for assets. Ottawa should look to move some picks for some NHL-ready assets, and that way you can accelerate the rebuild while also bringing in some of that veteran leadership that we talked about before. Uh, Anthony Sorelli's a guy to look at. I know Matt Murray's name's been thrown around. The Senators have more than enough picks to make something like that happen, so that's definitely something that they should look strongly at. And Derek, what's the most realistic improvement from a standings perspective for Ottawa next year without knowing who they draft or any off-season transactions? What will be considered an overachievement or underachievement? I think for me, um, an underachievement would be where they are right now. I think an underachievement is finishing in the league's basement again. I think anything where the Ottawa Senators finish from about 26th to 20th is a victory for them. I think that's a reasonable improvement you should expect. I think anything, maybe even 20th, is a little too much. But I think I really think anything above 20th is too much. I think that's an overachievement. Uh, I, I think that's a team probably playing beyond their capabilities in a sense, maybe being the beneficiaries of some good luck. I think that's the range we should expect to see Ottawa in next year. Who knows? Maybe they blow all our doors off next year and they make the playoffs. But based on where their core talent is right now and based on where the draft talent will be, uh, whoever that is, I, I don't see a scenario where Ottawa finishes higher than 20th place in the National Hockey League next year. And that's not a bad thing. I actually think that's a really good thing. And folks... That's going to wrap up episode 32 of Internal Budget. Thank you so much for listening. As always, it really does mean the world to me. Make sure you like the podcast, share it with your friends, download, subscribe, and rate five stars. The five-star rating is huge. Again, it's that little thing that goes a long way. That is really appreciated. But appreciated. We're struggling with the words today. Diction, diction, diction. Funnel Fairy Butter Bar. Funnel Fairy Butter Bar. It's a little thing that goes a long way, and it's really appreciated by your host with the most, Brandon Mackey. Uh, we got some cool things lined up for the next few weeks. I'm really excited to share it with you soon. But until then, please wear a mask when you go out, stay healthy, and stay safe. Keep enjoying the playoff hockey. We'll see you next week for episode 33. Take care, y'all.